0: Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, my fine friends. Welcome to the 11th episode of Season 3 of the Tom Petty Project podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Brown. This is the podcast that digs into the entire Tom Petty catalogue, song by song, album by album, and includes conversations with musicians, fans, and people connected with Tom along the way. If my speech sounds a little off tonight, I managed to bite my tongue quite hard earlier today, so it feels somewhat like I have a half-dead turbot flapping about in my mouth, so apologies for that. Uh, Today we're wrapping up the track listing for Down the Torpedoes and we'll be looking at the last song on side two, Louisiana Rain. And again, I don't embed the songs in the episode itself due to licensing issues, but if you want to listen to the song before we get started, check out the link in the episode notes and come back uh, and join me for an in-depth dig into the song. Louisiana Rain was originally recorded during the sessions for the precursor to the Heartbreakers' first album, when Denny Cordell was still trying to push Tom towards being a solo artist, working with session players. That version, recorded in 1975 and included on the playback box set, features the legendary talents of Al Cooper, Emery Gordy and Jim Gordon. Tom tells Paul Zolo in Conversations with Tom Petty that the song was recorded remarkably quickly, especially compared to the other songs from Damn the Torpedoes, which almost always took a lot of takes. That 1975 version features different lyrics um, and a slightly different arrangement, with obviously with different players playing on the song. Um, if you want to listen to that version of the of the song, I can't include a link in the episode notes. Um, you'll have to go out and pick up the CD box set because that version isn't available digitally anywhere. Louisiana Rain was written while Tom was house sitting for Leon Russell while he was on tour, and uh, Jimmy Iovine heard the song after he pulled everything from Tom's early back catalog. Um, and Tom also tells Paul Zolo that I was less keen on it because I felt I had already been down that road, but he did wind up making a great record of it. The song opens with an extended instrumental intro that doesn't follow the structure or tone of the song at all. It's almost a sort of a hidden song within a song, and is essentially Ben Montenche laying down a very futuristic synth pad chord progression with some additional heavily processed keyboard noodling. It has a very sort of Rick Wakeman-esque indulgence to it that is so jarring after the, the full-out rock and roll of What Are You Doing In My Life? This piece, the, this intro piece, fades out completely at the 56-second mark before we hear an aborted count-in, a little chuckle, and then sort of an indistinct phrase that sounds something like As they say, and there's something there that's a bit mumbly, and before Tom brings the song in on a four-count. The first thing I'd comment on is that you can sort of understand Tom's hesitation about bringing this song into the mix for this particular album, It's a fairly radical departure from the tempo and the mood of the rest of the tracks on the album, but I think that's what makes it a pretty perfect closer. After the band has rocked your socks off for the previous half an hour, Louisiana Rain lets you breathe and relax into the end of the album. It has a really loose, mellow country vibe throughout, punctuated by more excellent Mike Campbell slide guitar. It also has that really sultry, low-slung vocal delivery, with Tom really drawling his way through the verses and not pushing too hard during the choruses. What I'll call the intro proper is a straight-up country hook with a nice twangy slide part from Mike and accompanying piano part from Benmont which drops us into the cool half-time beat of the first verse after a very short four bars. One of the very first things I noticed about this track is that Ron Blair's bass tone is so clean and clear. And because there's no rhythm guitar through those first nine bars of the first section of the verse, you can really hear those bottom-end notes sitting on top of that kick drum pattern. It's very simply played. We're hearing Benmont's organ mix nice and low and some very simple, clean couplets of notes, which I suspect are Benmont, again, on either an electric piano or a sort of a keyboard patch of some kind, doesn't quite sound like a guitar in the way the attack comes across. So I'm pretty sure it's Benmont playing that part. But again, I'd have to ask one of the heartbreakers or one of the um, one of the uh, engineers. If I ever speak to Shelley Yakus, maybe I'll ask him. Um, The organ then builds us into the second half of the verse by swelling a little into that G7 chord in the ninth bar. And then it drops us into C rather than G to start the second half of the verse. And again, it's played an octave higher. And I think likely on a synth pad, which gives it an almost sort of, it's almost like a church organ type of sound. Again, I'd love to hear these tracks isolated because sometimes with the mix, you can't quite identify exactly what's going on. But in that step up to G7, Ron also moves up an octave to give that 7th chord a little more melody. The second half of the verse here is Mike sliding from D to C on the first beat of each odd-numbered bar, and then on the even beats he slides the note off with no sustain to just bring that note to a conclusion. Yet another example of something so very simple giving a lot of character to the song, and it's an old country trick of course, but knowing when and where to use those little musical devices is part of the musician's toolkit. And as the guitar fills in those mid-range frequencies, with Benmont's keys moving into a different space, we can still hear Ron's bass coming through, and it's so beautifully recorded and mixed that you can even still hear the attack as the strings are struck. As we head into that ninth bar again with the G7, Ron steps back up an octave and plays a nice little slide to take us back into C for the chorus. Now to this point, Stan has been keeping a very, very simple beat with the kick on the first beat and then the two-and, and remember, we talked about, I think this on the last album maybe, about that, that that concept of and, one, and two, and three, and four, and. So the and is that space between the two beats that a drummer might ordinarily play. And the snare then comes in on the fourth beat. So we've got two kicks and one, one snare. So again, a very sort of laid-back halftime groove. He's also playing a straight-time closed hi-hat almost imperceptibly quietly in that first verse. It builds a little in the second, but again provides a very subtle metronome behind that broken kick snare pattern that allows the the latter to glide effortlessly through those verses. The hat opens very slightly and closes on the fourth measure. And again, it's all subtle and understated to really give lots of space to the melody and to the vocal. We then get a wonderful short fill into the chorus with those thunderous toms crashing us back into a beat which flips to straight time and a much more regular kick pattern with some accompanying double time tambourines. It's either tambourine or shakers, I think it's probably tambourine. In that build to the chorus we also hear Ben Montt coming back in on the piano to fill out that sound and really push that transition. Ron throws in some juicy slides in the lowest register in the chorus, especially in the progression to that minor chord, and the organ swells into the second half and is mixed into the right channel with the Leslie speaker adding some great colour to that section. The rhythm guitar in the chorus definitely sounds acoustic, with Mike's lead picking sparse moments to come in and provide a lick or a fill to, to the end of a phrase, including immediately after the line, soaking through my shoes, and the finish of the first chorus. The second verse and chorus really just follow the same pattern as the first. And with the only real change is the phrasing of some of Mike's guitar parts as he's sliding a little bit more through that second half of the second half of that chorus. But I mean, we're basically getting exactly the same structure of two nine bar phrases in the verses and two eight bar phrases in the chorus before we head into a super little eight bar solo. Alrighty, it's time for some petty trivia. Your question last week was this. In which country did Damn the Torpedoes achieve its highest position? The answer is New Zealand, where it peaked at number one and was selected at number three in the year-end chart. Tom and the Heartbreakers only played three gigs in New Zealand on May 6th, 8th and 9th of 1980 in the cities of Christchurch, Wellington and Auckland, I'd be interested to know why the band didn't tour too often outside the US, as this was definitely not the norm for most major acts at that time. Your question for this week is as follows. At which legendary San Francisco venue did the Heartbreakers enjoy a 20-night residency between January 10th and February 7th of 1997? Okay, back to the song. Let's talk about this wonderful little understated solo. The first four bars are pure country slide guitar with a second slide guitar part sitting just underneath. And I'm not sure if that second part would have been Tom accompanying Mike live off the floor or whether it was a Mike overdub. I guess it was the latter because I don't really remember seeing Tom play slide guitar um, in in a concert ever, so I I don't know if that was part of of his armory. The solo itself is really simple, really clean, really melodic, before giving way to the part of the song that really kicks Louisiana Rain over the edge for me. You're just not expecting a harmonica here. It's the first time the harp has come out on a Heartbreakers record, and it flows on from Mike's solo so seamlessly that you cannot imagine any parallel universe in which that part doesn't exist. And and the keyboards are backed out at this point, so the spotlight can burn brightly on those twin solos. The solo comes back out into another iteration of that same verse-chorus pattern, and there's something about that lack of build verse on verse that works so well for this song. In other songs, you know, we had sort of slight differences and slight builds in those verses where we'd add a part in or we'd we'd give it a bit more breadth or a little bit more width, where Louisiana Rain really sticks to that very, very simple formula through those verses and choruses. And I think what it does is it really allows that that change from, sort of you got that G7 into C for the chorus on the words Louisiana Rain, you know, and it allows that to become the heavy hook of the song. In that sense, it's slightly similar to what are you doing in my life in, in the way that changes. However, this is much more of a sort of a building a sense of tranquility before hitting you with that that main phrase. The song then repeats the chorus once more um, before ending on a big finish on the first measure of that last bar. And I love how the choruses are structured in this one too. They follow the same sort of two-part nature of the verses and the second half of each chorus repeats each time, but the lines in the first half of, the, of, of each the first two choruses are different. And the two different halves are then used in the two iterations of the chorus in the outro. The lyrics of this one are, again, quite ephemeral and vague. They're intended to build an image rather than a specific situation or person. There's a sort of an analogous reference to a girl in the second half of the first verse that's quite clever. You know, it's sort of almost like a comparison to a meteorological phenomenon that you don't expect. She nearly drove me crazy with all those china toys is really esoteric, but the following line, she really didn't mean a thing to those sailor boys... I interpret it as meaning that while the Louisiana rain is having some sort of profound emotional impact on the singer, to everyone else, it's just something they deal with. It's an everyday occurrence. And that's a pretty good metaphor to a lot of passions that people have that other people find mundane or uninteresting. I'm not sure if that was deliberate, and I might be reading way more into that than there is, but it's pretty damn cool nonetheless. And there's also that wonderful uh, line in the second verse, thank God for a long neck bottle, the angel's remedy. Again, those little details like saying a long neck bottle rather than, I don't know, a bourbon bottle or a half-full bottle or something along those lines. All you really need is a two-syllable adjective there, but long neck just feels so much more evocative. The entire third verse is fantastic. If the rest of the song is, as I say, quite broad and playing at emotions and just general imagery, then that last verse is pure jagger in its description of an English refugee eating pills and chasing them with tea. So there we get a lyrical coda to the album which references the first song while leaving us with a, a wry smile and a knowing wink. <laughs> Hey folks, that's all for this week. Um, the way the builds and the fades between sections and between the first and second halves of both the verses and the choruses have a real sort of oceanic swell to them. It always feels to me like that adds to that sort of sense of water and coastal temperament. And Tom croons his way effortlessly through those verses and really restrains his attack during the choruses. It's all about setting that mood and pulling you into a version of Louisiana that's both cleansing and fresh. I've never been to Louisiana and it's high on my list of places to visit in the US and when I eventually do make it down there, should it rain, I don't think I'll be able to resist heading outside, looking up into the sky and thinking about this song. So I'm closing out the album with a really, really solid 8 out of 10 for Louisiana Rain. It's a super simple song with a simple lyric, a simple hook and a wonderful feel. It also has that bright shimmering harmonica part smack in the middle that I just absolutely adore. However, I do have to dock a mark at least for what I think is an odd choice to front the song that hidden sort of track within a track as I, I described it is to me superfluous and a little bit overlong, and I think if it was not there, Louisiana Rain would jump to a nine in my opinion. I'll add a link to the alternate version that I mentioned, which has that you know much more raw live feel as well as a link to the actual live version from Live Anthology, which again is absolutely terrific. Before I wrap things up, um, this is your weekly reminder that you can support and please do support humanitarian efforts in the Ukraine in so many different ways. And I would urge you to do so if you have the means. I'll keep adding that link to the Red Cross donation page in the episode notes. you know, And let's just keep on hoping that this doesn't go on very much longer and that sanctions and the will of the the Russian people as much as the Ukrainian people will, um, will make a difference at some point. Don't forget to follow me on Facebook and Instagram at The Tom Petty Project and on Twitter at Tom Petty Project and on YouTube um go follow like subscribe as applicable and then you'll get sort of notifications and pings when i post new content and please leave a review or a rating if you haven't already and you like the show um i always appreciate the reviews and the feedback that you give me on the social media and i always again i always try to interact with everyone who, who talks to me um it's one of the most fun parts of doing this project uh so let's keep talking Um, Again, a reminder, the Tom Petty Project is not affiliated with the Tom Petty Estate in any way. And when you're looking for Tom's music, please visit all the official channels, including the the Tom Petty YouTube channel, to try to find what you're looking for. And again, go to TomPetty.com for official merchandise. Don't forget to check out Tom Petty Nation and Tom Petty Fans Forever groups on Facebook if you're not already a member, because they're excellent fan communities and they are well worth hanging out in and checking out. So until we meet again next week, keep listening to and sharing Tom's music. Try to be kind. Try to say I love you to someone at least once a day. Stay safe and healthy, and I'll be back with you next week to introduce Nick Apostolaris, a musician and fan from New York State um, who discusses with me his relationship with Tom's music and his own recently released record, For The Times. Bye-bye.